Lynn Hiles Ministries presents Dr. Lynn Hiles That You Might Have Life. And here's your host, Dr. Lynn Hiles. I want to thank you again today for joining us on the program, and I, I trust that you're continuing to be blessed by what we're sharing. Uh, I really encourage you, if you are being blessed by what we're saying, to send us an email, a note on our public profile page on Facebook. Call that number on the screen. I'm really trying to make some decisions whether to continue with this study or not, depending on the response we get. Uh, the book of Revelation is such a uh, difficult thing to... Uh, you know, to kind of, uh, you know, uh, to kind of stay with because it's, it just takes so much to unravel and to unpack this. Uh, I believe that you'd be blessed if you could uh, go back and read some of the uh, things that we've shared to date. Uh, you could go back to our YouTube page. There is some stuff on YouTube. If you missed any of this, we have archived everything we have said to date is now available on our YouTube page. So uh, uh, there's a direct link to it from my website, and that website is there on the screen if you want to go and go back and listen to what we have shared today. It will bring you up to date with where we're at because we are continuing to build and unravel and unpack this, and you'll be able to tell why we think the way we do because we're systematically laying out uh, uh, by comparing spiritual things with spiritual things. Uh, I believe the book of Revelation is best interpreted when you use the Bible to interpret it. You say, well, what do you mean by that? What I mean by that is uh, that when you take the, uh, when you take, for instance, in this fourth chapter that we're dealing with, you see candlesticks and you see sea of glass and you see, uh, uh, you know, golden candlesticks. All of these pieces of furniture that you see here are also in the book of Exodus when God told Moses, let them build me a house so I can dwell among them. This furniture was in the tabernacle of Moses and is so powerfully packed with uh, the story of redemption and its typology will unlock the rest of the Word of God. It's just, for instance, like you would say the candlestick, for instance. It had 66 ornaments on the candlestick that Moses uh, told, or God told Moses to build. Sixty-six ornaments, a knob, a bud, an almond. There were sixty-six of them. Uh, there are sixty-six books in the Bible, and then you'll find a scripture that says, Thy word, O God, is like a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. In other words, all of these things that are in the tabernacle of Moses are symbolic of things that will give us a greater understanding of a spiritual truth. Now, I'm going to come back to the book of Revelation. We're going to deal this time again with the fourth chapter of Revelation, and I'm going to read, read the text, and then we're going to continue to unpack this. It says, After this I looked, and behold, a door was opened in heaven. And the first voice which I heard was, as it were, of a trumpet talking with me, which said, Come up hither, I will show thee things which must be hereafter. Immediately I was in the Spirit. Behold, a throne was set in heaven, and one sat on the throne. He that sat was to look upon like a jasper and a sardine stone. And there was a rainbow round about the throne in sight like unto an emerald. We got to the rainbow last week. I want to deal with the concept about it being like an emerald in this particular segment, at least for a little while. And around about the throne were four and twenty seats, and upon the seats I saw four and twenty elders sitting clothed in white raiment, and they had on their heads crowns of gold. Now to the throne proceeded lightnings, thunders, voices, and there were seven lamps of fire burning before the throne, which were the seven spirits of God. And before the throne there was a sea of glass. Actually, this word 
Sea of Glass, if you look it up in many of the commentaries, it'll tell you this Sea of Glass was the one that was in the tabernacle of, of uh, was, was in the temple, sorry, the temple of Solomon, where he had a brazen sea or a sea of glass made from the looking glasses of the women. So this is still a picture of the tabernacle uh, that God see. When God, it's interesting to me, that, you know, this was one of the very first things that was really open to me at a young age that began to really give me revelation out of the Word of God. Because my whole life, I was raised to believe that God's primary focus is to get me from here to there. And I do believe there's a there. Don't misunderstand me. I do believe there's a heaven. I do believe there is a there that if you are absent from the body, you are present with the Lord but what I really begin to see as I started studying the Word is that ever since man lost that connection where in the Garden of Eden, you cannot tell if this man is in a garden or is the garden in this man. This man is walking literally in a paradise of God where heaven and earth have literally kissed each other, where both realms have become one. They've literally merged where uh, Adam has access to the invisible realm called heaven and knows angels by their name, but at the same token can name the animals. And so there is such an interface between the human and the divine. And I believe that the reason it was so was because God would reach down into a lump of red clay and He would shape and mold His image, His likeness on the morning of the sixth day. I can see uh, angels giving God glory and in the atmosphere of glory, God says on the morning of the sixth day, I can see Michael look over at Gabriel and say, he outdid himself yesterday with those animals. Let's see what he's going to do today. And God begins to declare, let's make a man and our image after our likeness and let him have dominion over the fish, the fowl, over creeping things. Let's give him uh, dominion. Let's make him our vice regent in the earth. Let's put him over the works of our hands. God makes us, man. I can see the angels lean over the balconies of glory while God begins to take a lump of red clay. And like the hand of a great potter, He begins to shape Himself, mold Himself, His image into the likeness. And I can see as He looks at this image of likeness made from red clay, that's why I believe that in uh, Revelation chapter 4, the one who's seated here was to look upon like a jasper and a sardine stone. The Greek word for the word that we use for uh, jasper there is odom, or we could literally almost say it adam, but it literally means red. God took a red man. God took a man and said, I want, to, I want a man to have dominion. That's why Jesus became a man, is because God needed a man to reign. The first Adam left his mandate and uh, literally fell from the place of rulership but God is restoring us through the man Christ Jesus back to that place of rulership. But I can see God as He leans over and He looks and uh, angels would simply say, but He's out of the earth. Because He's out of the earth, He's earthy. But at that moment, in that split second of time, God sucks His lungs full of a breath of spirit substance. He comes down on that lump of red clay and He brings the realm of spirit into the red clay of human existence. He literally, if I could say it like this, gives him mouth-to-mouth -mouth resuscitation and he blows into Adam and man becomes a living soul. What God just did was He took the earthy and the human, He brought the breath of spirit, the divine, and He interfaced and brought two realms together. Heaven and earth were met together in the person of a man. 
Uh, we can see that when Adam loses that dominion, when he falls from the presence of God, when he loses that relationship with God and falls, uh, he literally begins to see the light. He disconnects, if I can say it like this, from the source of divine life, which is the realm of spirit. Now he's become simply earthy. He's become fleshy. He's lost that dominion. But 4,000 years later in human, hallelujah, 4,000 years later of human history and God once again begins to form himself in the womb of a virgin girl named Mary. And what happens is he takes a human, a virgin girl, and puts the seed of the divine in her womb because the scripture says in the book of Ephesians that in the fullness of time God would send forth his son made of a woman, made under the law to redeem them that were under the law that what God would do is that in the, in, in the dispensation, in the fullness of time, He would gather together in one that which is in heaven, God, and that which is earth, man, and He would bring them together in one person, that man, Christ Jesus. Jesus was the interface that brought heaven and earth back together again. He was the place where heaven and earth began to merge and begin to come together. Jesus would say this when He walked the planet. He said, Who hath ascended up to heaven, except he that came down from heaven, even the Son of Man which is in heaven. I believe that's in John 3, I'm not certain. Even the Son of Man which is in heaven. He said that while he was walking on planet earth. He said, I'm the Son of Man which is in heaven. I, I submit to you, he was the best of both worlds. But even on Calvary's cross, I believe in his death, burial, and resurrection, he reaches up where the cross vertically and horizontally connect. He was reconciling God and man. He was bringing the human and the divine together so that when we were born again and we are regenerated, we are both human and divine. Just like Jesus was very God and very man, he was the place that brought both realms together. I believe God has done that in the new creation man. He's brought both heaven and earth, visible and invisible, and restored us back to the place of that dominion. I believe with really higher than a bird can fly and deeper than a fish can swim that he would say to them in the book of Ephesians, and he hath raised us up together and made us sit together with him in the heavenly places, far above all principalities and powers and mights and dominion and every name that is named, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee would bow and every tongue would confess. I believe that there's a name that's bigger than cancer. I believe there's a name that's bigger than sugar diabetes. I believe there's a name bigger uh, than disease. And I believe there's a name that's bigger than any demonic activity. I believe there's a name bigger than politics. I believe there's a name bigger than poverty. That at the name of Jesus, He has restored authority back to the believers that we might be able to exercise this dominion uh, and to exercise his authority in the earth and carry it out as believers. I believe that's what this throne room is speaking of. And listen, let me tell you, it's hard for me to go back and not reiterate everything I've ever said uh, up to this point, but go back and review that if you're not understanding me because it'll help you understand. But when he says that he sat, saw one sitting on the throne, it was like a jasper and a sardine stone. He's talking about something that was human and divine. Jesus was made of a woman, 
made under the law, but he was also the son of the Most High God. He had the best of both worlds. And from the time that Adam lost that dominion, never before had these reconnected and came back together in one location until they did in the person of Jesus Christ. He brought heaven and earth together. He brought the human and the divine together. He brought that which was invisible and visible together in the person and work of Jesus Christ. And he brought us back together and reconciled us together when he did it on the cross. Hallelujah. Uh, and on Calvary's tree. Now, the thing I want to look at is that we dealt with a little bit last week, the rainbow round about the throne. We took you back to Genesis, showed you where that was a symbol of a covenant. I also want to show you in this particular segment that it was in sight like unto an emerald. And when I think about an emerald, I'm going to, I'm going to look into this just a little bit uh, uh, in this particular segment. But when I think about an emerald, an emerald is green. And you know, in, in, uh, let me just say this to you. The color green is very important in this. Because if you look at the tabernacle of Moses, once again, there were three, three distinct rooms in this tabernacle. I could say it like this. God lives in a three-room house, an outer court, a holy place, and a most holy place. And those three rooms and the outer court, there's blood-bought salvation and a laver where you see this being depicted in Revelation 4 as being the sea of glass. That's in the outer court. The next room would have a golden altar of incense. You see that in the book of Revelation where they're offering incense. There's seven golden candlesticks. You see that in chapter 1 and 2 of Revelation where the church is walking in the midst of seven golden candlesticks. That's in the second room. It's in the second dimension of the tabernacle of Moses. I could say it like this. In the outer court, it's where you were blood bought. That's the feast of Passover. In the second room, it's where the oil of anointing flowed into the candlestick and where the, the incense is offered, the prayer, the praise, and the worship. And the table of showbread is located in that dimension and the word is fed. That's the second dimension. That's the feast of Pentecost. But there's another room to this tabernacle. In the third room, is where the mercy seats is at. If I could say it like this, where the throne was at. It was a mercy seat and not a judgment seat. This was the very throne of God in the earth, was in the tabernacle of Moses. This was God's throne. It's where the glory cloud originated from, was from this mercy seat. I might say to you in this hour, I believe it's time we start preaching the mercy seat and not preaching the judgment seat. But what I'm simply saying is, if there is a three dimensions in this tabernacle. There's an outer court, a holy place, and a most holy place. Or say it another way, there's the feast of Passover, the feast of Pentecost, but in Israel's economy there was a third feast called the Feast of Tabernacles. Let me say to you that as well as him calling us up to a place of dominion, he's calling us up to a higher place in the realm of spirit. Probably many under the sound of my voice today, you're listening to me and you say, well, I've experienced salvation. I've been bought by the blood. I'm a blood-bought, water-baptized, born-again Christian. And then there's others that are sitting there watching me. And you say, I've been blood-bought, water-baptized. I'm born again, but I've come into the second room. I've been filled with the Holy Spirit. I move in the gifts of the Spirit. I, I love praise and worship. Uh, I, I, I'm in the Pentecostal dimension. It's amazing to me that when we got baptized in the Holy Ghost and we got the second, uh, let's say, experience or manifestation of the work of the Spirit, we come into the second room of experiencing God, well, we, put a, uh, we put a sign out in our yard that said we're full gospel. The truth of it is we're only two-thirds gospel at best because there's a whole nother feast. There's a whole nother room. 
there's a whole other dimension. What God is calling the church to is to come up hither. That's to another dimension in the realm of the Spirit. Now, I believe that there's a people that have been, and I believe that you could also tie that in with what he said to the church at Laodicea. He said, because you're neither hot or cold, but you're lukewarm, I'm going to spew you out of my mouth. I believe hot is most holy place. I believe cold is outer court. I believe lukewarm is right in the middle. Now, there's nothing wrong with being Pentecostal, but, but when you've been in the Feast of Pentecost for 40 years, it's time to hear a high calling of God saying, hey, there's a whole other realm. I know there's somebody listening to the sound of my voice today, and you've come to a place in your life and you said, God, I know there's got to be more than even what I've experienced in Pentecost. If that's you, I'm talking to you today. There is a high calling of God. There's a whole other room in this tabernacle of Moses. Now, let me say this to you as well. When God called Moses up that mountain, He said to him, If you build in the earth what I just showed you in the heavens, I will come and I'll live with you. God was interested in reproducing in the earth what was in heaven. So His primary purpose is not to get me from here to there or from here to there. His primary goal is to get what's happening there to operate here. That's why He would pray, Thy kingdom come, Thy will be done in the earth as it is in the heavens. God wants to do something in the earth. And he said, if you build it, I'll say it like this, if you build it, he will come and he will move into his temple. Throughout the scripture, we see God building many temples. We see the temple of Herod, the temple of Solomon, the restored temple under Haggai, Ezra, Nehemiah, the temples being restored. All of them picture the greater temple of God. But Jesus brought this into a spiritual dimension when he was walking in Matthew 24, and he said, do you see the beautiful buildings of the temple? He said, if you destroy this temple in three days, I'm going to raise it back up. But he was speaking concerning the temple of his body. And so Jesus was the true tabernacle. He was the true temple of God. He was the first place God really inhabited. But I love this. He didn't just leave it with one individual. What? Know ye not that you are the temple of the Holy Ghost. You're the tabernacle in which God lives. You're what gives the omnipresent God a local address. And I love what it says in Revelation chapter 21, especially uh, the King James Bible says that, like it says, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and God will dwell with them. He'll be their God, He'll be their peace, and they'll wipe all tears from their eyes. I love how it says it in the Message Bible. It says, Look, look, God has moved into the neighborhood. I love that because the tabernacle that you are, when God moves in, look, look, God has moved into the neighborhood. And I always like to say this, and property values just went up. Because when God moves into this temple, He starts a major renovation program. He moves into the temple and God finally realizes His dream in Revelation chapter 21 because He was not interested in living in buildings made out of hands, but He was living in a man. What, hallelujah. What Know ye not that you are the temple of the Holy Ghost. God will live in and will be with them and shall be their God and shall be. He'll wipe all tears from their eyes. That's a result of all that God is living inside of you. Now let me just say this to you also because I'm, I'm, about to, I'm getting short on time and I want to get this in. In the Song of Solomon, it's a powerful, again, picture of a, a three-room house because in chapter 1, the king is courting this woman by the name of the Shulamite. Now the Shulamite to me, their picture is the bride of Christ, the king being a type of Jesus. In chapter 1, he takes her for a walk in his garden. I could say it like this. He takes her for a walk in the outer court and he shows her his garden. She's overwhelmed. She's blessed by seeing his garden, his outer court. In chapter 2, he takes her into the banqueting house. That's the second room. And he stays her with flagons of wine. The house of wine or the banqueting house to me speaks of the place where 
he wines and dines us. The king is in a romantic mood, so he is going to show up on her porch with a box, if I could say it like this, of chocolate-covered prophecies, a bouquet of word of knowledge. He's giving her gifts because he's wooing her. He brings her to the banqueting house. He stays her with flagons of wine. Ladies and gentlemen, if that's not a picture of Pentecost where he gives us gifts, gifts of the Spirit, and he stays us with flagons of wine, and the wine of the Holy Spirit is poured out until she literally gets drunk and passes out in his arms. That reminds me of a lot of charismatic services I've seen where the Holy Ghost would hit and people be laid all over the floor. Literally, she experienced the power of Pentecost. But there's another room that he takes her to in the Song of Solomon. And when he does that, he opens the door to the third room, the third dimension, the third feast, the third room, if I could say it like that. He opens the door to the third room. It takes her breath away, and this is what she says. She says, Behold, our bed is green. You say, now what's that got to do with the book of Revelation? Well, the emerald was green. What I'm trying to show you is that the atmosphere in this third room called the most holy place is green. It is charged with a covenant that is green. It is a rainbow in sight like unto an emerald. I submit to you, it is the new covenant, and with this rainbow around it, it is the place where it is a covenant of, literally, I could say it like this, it is your wedding certificate. Because he's about to take her into this green room, which is his bedroom. She says, behold, our bed is green. Uh, let me say to you, that's powerful to me because when I think about the green room and I think about the throne room, the green room and the throne room, and the bedroom are all the same room. They're the third dimension of the tabernacle of Moses. They are where, uh, you know, uh, to me when I think about the green again, uh, I think about Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd. He's my pastor. I shall not want. He makes me lie down, watch this, in green pastures. He makes me lie down. It's the place of rest. It's a place of intimacy. It's the place of union. Uh, hallelujah. It is the place of consummation. He's already taken her for a walk in the garden. Then he took her to the house of wine. And now, ladies and gentlemen, he's taking her to the green room where he will cause her to lie down in green pastures, watch this, to restore your soul. Where you can receive the end of your faith, even the salvation of your soul. I know I'm saying some deep things today, but I know there's somebody out there that can hear what I'm trying to say to you. The, again, the, the rainbow is your wedding certificate. I, I say it like this, no wed, no bed. Without covenant, there's not going to be. See, the new covenant is your marriage certificate where you come into intimate relationship with your king. And that's what's being depicted in the Song of Solomon as he causes her to lie down in green pastures. It will bring restoration to your soul and then it will lead you through you don't die in the valley. It leads you through the valley of the shadow of a death where you fear no evil because he prepares a table before you right in the presence of your enemies. In other words, he gives you something to feed on right in the presence of your enemies, right in the posture of rest, right in the place of intimacy where your enemies don't triumph over you, but he prepares a table before you right in the presence of your enemies so that you can come through the valley of the shadow. See, because you're already in the shadow of a death, but the death you're in the shadow of is you're in the shadow of the death of Calvary's cross. And what happens is I fear 
fear no evil because everything I needed was exacted in the person and work of Jesus Christ. And the shadow of that death is what gives me the ability to rest because I can rest because the work has been finished in the person and work of Jesus Christ. I, I hope you're getting what I'm saying. I'm telling you, there is a whole new room. In the Song of Solomon, he takes her and, and she, he says, she, he brought me, chapter 2, it said, he brought me to the secret place of the stairs. And you know, when I think about that, I can think about my own self coming through, you know, my first beginnings where as a Nazarene, got born again, genuinely born again as a Nazarene, got baptized in water. Then we got an understanding of the Feast of Pentecost, begin to fellowship with Pentecostal folks, receive the baptism of the Holy Ghost in a tent revival. And with the evidence of speaking in tongues and the power of God begin to manifest in, in my life. But after a while, see, in each one of those dimensions, even when I was a Nazarene, I got saved and a year and a half into it. I'm thinking, there's got to be more to this than just my blood-bought salvation and then sit down and hold on until Jesus comes or till I go to heaven. Man, there's got to be more to life. There's got to be more. And, and then I got filled with the Holy Ghost, realized that there was more. Got filled with the Holy Ghost and enjoyed that realm for a while. After several years in that, I'm, I'm, I'm coming to the, the place where I'm thinking, you know, everybody else seems to be satisfied, but something in me has come to a place of divine discontentment. And I feel like there's got to be something more. If I'm talking to you today, this message is for you. When the Lord began to say that to me, He said, I brought you to the secret place of the stairs. I said, Lord, what are you saying? He said the secret place of the stair, every stair, every stair step has a rise or has a step, a step, and then a riser. So you come to a step, and then you hit this riser. Then you come to a step, then you hit a riser. And the Lord said, you've not come to a wall. See, I thought I'd hit this wall in the Spirit. I thought, this is it, man. I am, I'm dissatisfied. But the Lord said to me, you've not come to a wall at all. You've come to a call. You've come to a high calling. You've come to the end of one realm because you've come to the riser of a step. I believe the church in America has now come to the riser of a step. And what we've done is we've come to the end of the realm. It's not that Pentecost is not phenomenal and that we don't need it. We need all of it. As a matter of fact, we'll see later on as we study this chapter that this beast in the throne is full of eyes. That means he's got a vision for every realm, before and behind. We're not throwing away anything. We still believe in blood-bought salvation, water baptism, being filled with the Holy Ghost. We just know that God's calling us up higher. If you hear that high calling, you've been brought to the secret place of the stairs, and God's trying to bring you into a new realm. He's trying to bring you into this third realm, this green room, this realm of covenant that you've never known before, where He will make you lie down in green pastures so that He can restore your soul. The place of rest where everything flows from, the place of rulership. And He ultimately comes into relationship with this Shulamite woman where she becomes His bride and His queen. And if you're his queen, you've got authority to rule and reign. I'm telling you, that's what this throne room is about. It's time for us to come up hither. We're out of time again. Uh, it goes so quickly. But take a moment to call that number on the screen. Uh, become a part of a gospel revolution by sowing a seed into the ministry. If you believe in what we're doing, get behind what we're doing because uh, that's what helps us to take the gospel around the world. Without you, it is impossible. And we thank you for your seed that you've sown. Go to our website or call the number on the screen and uh, we will thank you for it. God bless you. Tell your friends about us. For anyone struggling to understand John's writings in Revelation, this book provides true, biblically-based answers. Through detailed insights into the letters John wrote to the seven churches of his day, you will learn how to avoid the mistakes of the early church to overcome today's trials and tribulations. 
This book will provoke you to thought and dialogue, bringing greater clarity and revelation of Jesus Christ.